0: So today, we're going to see some examples, brethren, of ingratitude and gratitude. It's such an amazing subject, because frankly, and I will explain to you later, if I have the time, I heard Mr. Ramson saying, ingratitude is the worst of sins. And I was thinking about why, why is it? And I think I have the answer for you today, and I'm sure many of you know it. But since we are talking about this subject, we would like to know what the source of ingratitude is. And it's such an important subject, brethren. Ingratitude is what led ancient Israel to his doom. They forgot. The first thing an ungrateful person does is to forget where the good that was received, where it came from. They forget. Then... They become proud, thinking they are the source. And that happens to all of us, brethren, with me, starting it. Sometimes we forget where the good that is in us, where it comes from. And when we forget, we become proud. And after we become proud, we become rebellious. That's the order of ingratitude, as we will see today, brethren. And what? is deeming is reading this nation of America whom I love so much and I learned to appreciate this nation. My father was the second coffee exporter of Colombia when I was a child and he had many business with the United States of America. We're talking of the fifties and when this country was at the peak of its glory and greatness. And he always told us we have much to learn from the United States. And I learned to love this country, and appreciate it and respect it. And now God has allowed me, because I was asked to stay here by the leadership of the church in Worldwide Church of God, they asked me to stay and work as associate editor for the Spanish publications. So I accepted it, and I think it's been one of the most wonderful blessings in my life. And so, what is leading this country the way it's going? I read an article that Mr. Don Davies sent, he sent several articles about a, a pastor of a Protestant group that was very happy to have taken part in a Drag Queen's production. And he felt it was a unique spiritual experience, brethren. Yes, it was. But what spirit was behind it? I think you know it very well, brethren. I was dumbfounded to see how far this nation is going to the point where God calls it Sodom and Gomorrah. And it hurts. But we know Christ will come to restore everything. And so I would like to, for us to go together, brethren, to chapter 28 of the book of Ezekiel. And we start seeing the source, the first occurrence of ingratitude. And you know what that chapter is all about. In Chapter 28, speaking of the King of Tyre, we know, which we know, is no other than Satan, the Devil. Then uh, I don't go into many details to explain that. I take for granted you already know it and very well. We need to know those things. It has been explained to us many times, and it's a, it's a very important knowledge. I would like us to start reading here in Chapter 28 of the Book of Ezekiel. And go to verse 12, and it says, God speaking to this, to this uh, cherub, and he says, let me start in verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, this is Ezekiel writing, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. And we know he's talking here to spiritual being, although he calls him the king of Tyre because he's possessing the king the king of Tyre. And it says, you were the seal of perfection. I have read it in other versions. It says, you were the masterpiece of creation. Mr. Abson used to say he was the best God could create as a created being. Of course, how much more thankful we have to be that he's, doing in us, creating something superior of a divine rank, the God's divinity. He's creating in us, he's engendering us by his spirit, begotting us by his spirit. Because as a created being, this was the best God could do. And he's doing something even better with us, brethren. So we have to take care of remembering gratitude and not falling into this. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. And then he mentions all these sardius, topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, an emerald with gold, the workmanship for your timbrels and pipes, were prepared for you on the day you were created. First important thing to keep in mind, God gave him his existence. God gave him his being. The, the, the tremendous opportunity to, to exist. And God points that out right here, in how he gave him everything. And we're going to see the wisdom he gave, the beauty he gave, how he dressed him, everything given free of charge for this being. We know he was not tested beforehand. And if I say sometimes, we are being tested day by day because we want to be absolutely sure God wants to be that nobody is going to turn around in his kingdom. If we overcome All the tests, when we are in the flesh, once we are in the spirit and no one can tempt us, because God cannot be tempted, it will be of the divine species. So God will make sure, he will be sure by then that no one is going to turn around and be ungrateful and rebel. So let's continue here. You walk back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You are perfect In your ways from the day you were created. He repeats again. You were created. I gave you your existence. Till iniquity was found in you. How was it found? Here it goes. By the abundance of your trading. Is pointed out in several commentaries. That means murmuring or slandering. He's the father of lies. He was not satisfied with what god gave to him we know he was preparing to attack the throne of god and be god himself the greatest expression of ingratitude to whom gave him the existence you became filled with violence within just by murmuring and murmuring i remember before the rebellion of global the rupt the disruption I went to lunch with one of the ministers in headquarters who was the ones, one of the ones who betrayed Dr. Meredith. And he was with his wife in this restaurant supplantation there in Pasadena, I know, in San Diego. And they started speaking evil of Dr. Meredith. He met his wife. I told them, listen, my friends, you go that way. There is someone who is going to help you, and the the time will come when you won't see anything good in this man. And that's how the man gets perverted when there is murmuring and gossip and hatred expressed in words and bad comments. So, it's a warning for us. You became filled with violence within, and you sinned. You see? He became filled with a desire to attack the throne of God, which you see in chapter 14. Of the book of Isaiah. Therefore I cast you as a profane thing. Out of the mountain of God. Let's see verse 17. You. Your heart was filled up. Lifted up. Because of your beauty. You see. He forgot who gave it to him. He was so engrossed with his beauty. so dazzled with the beauty God had given him. Eh? start looking at himself that he forgot where he came from. And I tell you, brethren, that might happen or that happens to all of us if we are not careful. So he lost sight of who gave him everything that he had. You corrupted your wisdom so that your mind becomes twisted by deceit for the sake of your splendor. He lost sight by looking at himself. He got blinded with himself. That's what God hates so much pride, my friends. We have to pray for humility. You defile, verse 18, your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities. By the iniquity of your trading. That means your campaigning. So we see there that he forgot. He lost sight of who gave him everything. And that's exactly what happens to any of us. And I think we were that way before we were called by God and we were taught what humility is. Humility is humus to remember dust. Humus means dust. That we remember we are dust of the earth and we will return to the earth, brethren. And without the spirit of God, we will disappear forever. So we have to keep those things in mind. Now, God knew this type of attitude of being blinded and forgetting, turning away and becoming rebellious was transferred to his people. And we see it now, day by day in this nation, as they get farther and farther from the Creator. They don't want to hear anything from him. So let's see what God predicted that you already know, brethren, but it's good to review these things in Deuteronomy chapter 31. God knew what the people were doing, were going to do. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 31, and verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, I'm reading Deuteronomy 31, verse 16. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and these people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners, of the land where they go to be among them and they will forsake me we're going to see that he uses the word to forget also they are going to forsake me and break my covenant which I gave I have made with them verse 19 now therefore write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel, put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. And it's so clear today what we see in America, in England, and all the Israelitish nations of Europe. When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, And they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat. Then they will turn to other gods and serve them. And they will provoke, provoke me and break my covenant. So let's read this poem that God dictated to Moses that is of such amazing present importance for us and for this nation For the whole world, chapter 32 of the book of Deuteronomy. God is a poet, you know. A man, according to his heart, was the sweet singer of Israel. David was a poet. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain. My speech distill as the dew. As raindrops on the tender herb. And as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. They have Corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish. A perverse and crooked generation. Do you those deal? You know, another version says, do you pay this way? That's how you express your gratitude? I think it would be better to say this way now. Do you pay this way to the Lord of foolish and unwise nation? Oh, people, he is not your father who brought you, who bought you. Has he not made you and established you? Let's go to verse 10. He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness, and encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Then let's go to verse 13. He made him ride on the heights of the earth, that he might eat the produce of the fields. He made him to draw honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock, curds from the cattle and milk of the flock, with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan, and goats with the choicest wheat, and you drank wine, the blood of the grapes. But Jeshurum grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, you grew thick, you are covered with fat. Then he forsook God who made him. That's the verb that comes often, and we're going to see forget just in a moment. And scornfully esteem the rock of his salvation. They provoke him to jealousy with foreign gods, with abominations. They provoke him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God. Worship the same thing today. Satanism is quite established in some areas of this country where they worship directly Satan the devil. The gods they did not know. The new gods, new arrivals, that your fathers did not fear of the rock who begot you. You are unmindful and have forgotten the God who fathered you. Here it is. Ingratitude begets forgetfulness. Forgetfulness begets pride. And pride begets rebellion. That's what we are seeing, my dear brethren. So, let's go now to the warning God gave also to his people in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, which you know, but in this perspective it's interesting to look at this, how God mentions the verb to forget after they were so blessed. In chapter 8 and verse 2 of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8 verse 2, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Verse 4. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. God took care. (laughs) He condemned them to stay in the wilderness, but he never forsook them. He took care of them, of the clothing. They were fed. they had And they have the shoes that they had when they came out, of, came out of Egypt. They didn't get old. Verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Well, let's see. In verse 11. Beware that you do not forget. That's the first step of ingratitude. To forget, not to be mindful, not to remember, to forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. Verse 14, when your heart is lifted up, I told you, pride, and you forget, that's the problem, ingratitude. The Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Let's go to verse 17. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. That's why God warns us, riches, beauty, And intelligence can become a source of pride. And people that are beautiful or intelligent and rich, we tend to to be proud. Why? Because we forget who gave it to us. If someone was born with very good looking, he has to remember where he came from. He didn't create it. We didn't create it. And God is here reminding us and this nation. Then, when you, when you, you say in your heart, "My power and the might of my hand hath gained me this wealth," and you shall remember. there is always forgetfulness, and remembering in contrast. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Verse 19, Then it shall be, if by any means forget the Lord, you forget the Lord your God, and follow other gods, and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. That's exactly what's happening right now before our eyes. This nation is on the brink of perishing. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. So there we have that tremendous warning from God for us today, brethren. We saw that in worldwide. How many people forgot All what they received never had been so much knowledge accumulated for the truth based on the Bible. And how many people turned away? And some became Jews, others went back to Protestantism, went back to keep Christmas, etc., etc. The same thing, we have seen it in our days, brethren. So this thing is very much for us today. So let's look now at... Some act of ingratitude, something that that has stick in my mind, frankly. There are many examples. And you can, When you read the book of Judges, you say that when Joshua died, people forsook the Lord. They forgot God who gave them that land and the abundance they had. And the words that we read in Deuteronomy, in the song of Moses, were fulfilled to the letter. Well, let's see an example here in chapter, let's read... Uh, Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, an example of someone who forgot something very important. It has stayed in my mind since I read this years ago. And it says here, speaking of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, he was greatly blessed by God, but he made some grievous mistakes. God delivered him several times. Because he was trying to obey God and appointed judges to teach the law of God to the people, and he did things well, but he made some mistakes, like the one we're going to read here, chapter 18, Second Chronicles, chapter 18, and verse 1. Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. Ahab was the worst of the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel. Was the worst of them. And Jehoshaphat didn't have any need to be allied with him. Why this mistake is a warning for us. Sometimes we might say, you read other things that Jehoshaphat did, and you wonder why he made these mistakes. He took his daughter... Whose mother was Jezebel. Atalaya. What Atalia, I don't know how you pronounce it. Atalaya? I'm asking my friend Mr. Don Davis, who's watching directly to me. Anyway, I would say Atalaya. A daughter of Ahab, he married her to his firstborn. How in the world? I, I was reading this and I said, Boy, I have to look this way. Maybe I will make Similar mistakes. And then he allowed this woman to marry his firstborn, whose name was, let's uh, this look is, this is here in chapter Jehoram, was the name of his firstborn who married the daughter of Ahab, the worst king. And uh, we see when he started reigning, first thing he had, he says in verse 2, Chapter 21 verse 2. He had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azariah, Michael, Stephathiah, and there were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. But Jehoshaphat gave him the kingdom because he was the firstborn. Their father gave them great gifts and silver and gold. Anyway, what happened? Verse 4. Now, when Jehoram, who was married to the daughter of Ahab, was established over the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and killed all his brothers with the sword and also others of the princes of Israel. We see a conspiracy of the devil to abolish the lineage of King David to annul the promise that God made to David The devil has tried several times to completely obliterate. He never succeeded. But here we read how this man, he was 32 years old when he became became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done, for he had the daughter of Ahab as a wife, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. I wonder how Jehoshaphat didn't think about this. But like I said, we're not here to judge Jehoshaphat, but to judge ourselves and learn from these mistakes. So he had a a son who was his firstborn, called Ahaziah. And we read in chapter 22, verse 2, and he was a son of Ataliah, the daughter of Ahab. It says here, Ahaziah was 42 years old. Actually, he was. This is a mistake of some scribe. He was just 22. You see that in the Book of Kings. Just a note. When he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem, his mother's name was Ataliah, the granddaughter of Omri. So, Omri was the father of Ahab. So, what happened is. That Yehu, a king of the north, God asked him to exterminate the house of Ahab, and for some reason he also killed Ahaziah, who was the daughter of, the daughter of Ahab, who was the son of the daughter of Ahab. So I, just to put you in the context, just here in chapter 22 verse verse 10, now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. Another attempt to erase the descendants of King David. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. So Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada, the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Ataliah, so that she did not kill him. And he was hidden with them in the house of God for six years, while Ataliah reigned over the land. So God always made a miracle, And someone escaped. And Joash was a little baby, a little boy. And they were kept, chapter 23, verse 3. And all the congregation made a covenant. Oh, Now Jehoiada was the high priest. And this daughter of the king who saved this young boy was his wife. But this man was a great leader, a spiritual leader. And when the boy turned seven, he decided to make him king while Ataliah was ruling the land. She was the queen over Judah. And then he talked to all the Levites and the heads of hundreds and he put them together and organized it very well. I don't read all the detail. And he said, then all the chapter 23 verse 3 then all the congregation made a covenant with the king in the house of god and he said to them behold the king the king's son he shall reign as the lord has said of the sons of david and then in verse 12 the, the people were excited they were yelling said leave the king because they were oppressed by this woman and in verse 12 he says, Now when Ataliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. And she said, Treason, treason. Then the high priest ordained her to be executed. And she was executed. And let's go now to chapter 24. He says, Let's read chapter 23, verse 16. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself, the people, and the king, that they should be the Lord's people. And all the people went to the temple of Baal and tore tore it down. They broke in pieces all the altars and images and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. Chapter 24, verse 1. Joash, this is the young boy who was saved from being murdered, and he was made king by this high priest who hid him in the temple of God for six years. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibia of Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord, all the days of Jehoiada, the priest. So as long as his mentor was there, he behaved. But look what happened in verse 15. Chapter 15 of this same chapter 24, it says, But Jehoiada grew old and was full of days and he died. He was one of, the, see, he was 130 years old when he died. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings, because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. But after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king. And the king listened to them. Therefore they left the house of the Lord, the Lord God of their fathers and served the wooden image, images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. Now, let's read this. Verse 20. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada. He was a young man, the son of the high priest, who has saved the little boy, protected him, made he king. He, he designed a wonderful strategy. If you, the, you read the details on how he would be protected. And he says, then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God: Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord, so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord; He also has forsaken you. So they conspired against Him, and at the commandment of the King, the one who's He's the son of the one who saved His life and made him king. At the command of the king, they stone him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember. This is one of the most striking examples of ingratitude I have found. There are many. Thus Joash the king did not remember The kindness which Jehoiada, his father, I mean the father of Zechariah, had done to him, but killed his son. And as he died, he said, The Lord, look on it and repay. So there we have a striking example of gratitude. To kill the son of the man who saved his life, hid him, made him king, and was his mentor for 40 years. It's just amazing, brethren. It's so striking. I, I, never, I never forgot that. It just hit me hard. Now, let's look at some examples in the New Testament. In Second Timothy, <clears throat> we read something very interesting here. It's the last, one of the last letters, probably the last one Paul wrote to his disciple and beloved disciple Timothy that he considered his his son in the Lord. In chapter one, here Paul is a prisoner, he's humbled, humiliated under this probably Nero, who had him in prison, and in this letter he says, I'm about to be offered as a sacrifice. Paul was getting ready to die. But he writes to to his Dear disciple Timothy in chapter 2 and verse 15 it says this you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me among whom are fee and homogeneous. That was the man who had dedicated his whole life to serve these people. It seems that there were people of Asia that were in Rome, but they were afraid and they were ashamed of the chains of Paul. They decided to turn away and go. You know, Christ said to his twelve disciples, you are going to leave me alone and let God keep us from that brethren because times are coming when some of us will be persecuted and probably put in prison or and Christ said many will betray each other. Because when people so, see someone in disgrace we have the tendency to turn our backs and get away. And uh, here Paul is but he mentions an act of gratitude but we should read com- immediately after he says in verse 16 but the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain but when he arrived in Rome he sought me out very diligently who knows where the Romans had put Paul in a prison who knows in the last corner of that whole city but on a Cypherus, he went there, it was not ashamed. He did not forget who that man was. And they learned the truth through him. And he said, when he arrived in Rome, he was a businessman. He sought me out diligently and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy. From the Lord in that day, and you know very well how many ways in how many ways he ministered to me in Ephesus a man who was loyal you know loyalty and gratitude go go hand in hand an act of disloyalty is an act of ingratitude let's read it there's more examples here he says in chapter 3 and verse 7. Oh, that's another one. Chapter 4 and verse 9, brethren. Be diligent to come to me quickly. Paul, Paul wanted probably Timothy to be there before he was executed. You know, his head was going to be cut off. He was a citizen of Rome. He would not be crucified. For Demas had forsaken me. It's another pain for a man who is in prison after dedicating, after his conversion, his whole being to the service of God and his people. For them as have forsaken me, he appears as as to be one of his companions when he writes to Colossus. You you read his name there in the epistle to the Colossians. For them as have forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescent to Galash, Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. We're not sure these were forsaking him, but he didn't send them. since seems that it was their own decision because he mentioned that he, in verse 12, Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus, but the others do not seem to have sent by Paul. We don't know. Now let's read verse chapter four and verse 16 At my first defence, no one stood with me, but all forsook me, may not be charged against them. So there example for us brethren, to be ashamed or someone who falls in disgrace and who Let's read the example of King David. King David, let's read chapter first, first chap, first Samuel, chapter first Samuel. What is that? Yes, anointed king. Yes, I have here. Chapter 18. You know, the covenant that he made with Jonathan, his friend. In verse 18, we see that Jonathan was extremely impressed with this young man. Probably he was not even 20 years old because he was not sent to battle with his brothers. And God had given Jonathan a great victory against the Philistines. And when he saw the, the faith of this young man, how he spoke to Goliath, and how he executed Goliath, Jonathan was deeply impressed with that. He recognized the hand of God on David. In verse 18, chapter 18, verse 1, he says, "And it was so." when he had finished speaking to Saul, this is David, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So we read later on how this is a beautiful study to see how Jonathan was loyal to his own father. But when his father was wrong, Jonathan knew that he had to obey God And be faithful to David. But he died by his father's side. He went all the way to the end. Being loyal to his father. But he was also loyal to David. And we read that beautiful covenant. They they made more than one covenant. And it says. Let's read here. The final one. I don't want to stay too long on this. But I'm sure you know all these stories are so moving. In chapter 20 and verse 12, you know, they, Saul have tried three times to kill David, to nail him to the wall with his spear. And David said to Jonathan, there is but a step between me and death. If I did something wrong, why do you kill me now? He was getting desperate. But Jonathan said to him, let's read chapter 20 and verse 12. Then Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness when I have sounded out my father. That means when I find out from my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send you to tell you. So he is trying to save his life. He says, My father has good intentions. I will let you know. Verse 13. May the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety and the Lord be with you as he was, as he has been with my, with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live that I may not die, for you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of the David's enemies. And Jonathan again caused David to vow, because he loved him for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So he said, You be kindest to me and to my descendants. There is another quote for David made a solemn covenant that he will protect Jonathan. He lived, because you know, so many times it happened, if someone is suspicious to be the king, he was executed, like Jehoram did with his own brothers. So they made... A covenant, and when David was established and in his kingdom, and like Jonathan said, when all his enemies are put down, don't forget me, don't forget the house, my descendants, and he swore he would take care of them. Second Samuel chapter nine. Now David said, "Is there still anyone who is left?" of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was a servant of the house of of Saul, whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the kings, to David the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. Then the king said, is there Know still one of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God. And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodebar. Then the king sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodebar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, There is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan's, your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the lands of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall sit and eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant? That you should look upon such a dead dog as I. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and all that, all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him and you shall bring In the harvest, to your master's son, he may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mesheboshet, said the king, He shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son without, excuse me, whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table and he was lame in both of his feet. A man according to God's heart did remember. This one more example of David. Like I told you, I'm going to pass you the message unfiltered from God's word, because these are very inspiring stories for us brethren in contrast with ungratefulness. Then you know when David was betrayed by his own son, God had predicted it to him as a consequence of his sin. Although he had repented, God allowed consequences to come upon him. And David fled from his own son. He was despised. He was humbled, humiliated. But some people, that was not a deterrent for some people to respect the the king. So he fled. And he, I don't go into all the details, you probably know. And they cross the desert beyond the Jordan and they arrive at Mahanaim. And in verse, I want to read chapter 19 of Second Samuel verse 31. And Barzillai, the Gidealite, Gileadite, came down from Rojalim. But first, these people, they took care of David and provided him with all what he needed with his men when he, when he was fleeing from his son Absalom. Oh, here it is, brethren. It's in chapter 17, verse 27. This is what Barzillai and others did for David and the men that wed with him when he was fleeing from his son. Chapter 17, verse 27. Now it happened when David had come to Mahanaim that Shobi the son of Nahash from Rabbah of the people of Ammon, Machir, of the, the son of Amiel from Lodebar, and Barzillai the Gileadite from Rojalim, brought beds and basins, earthen vessels and wheat, barley and flour, parched grain and beans, lentils, and parched seeds, honey and curds, sheep and cheese of the herd for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. So when David finally won that battle, God always gave him the, the victory in his return. He was on his way back to Jerusalem. Then in chapter 19 and verse 31, we read how David did not forget the good that was done to him. In chapter chapter 19, verse 31, And Barzillai, the Gileadite, came down from Rojalim and went across the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. So he still not only provided for him when he was in great need he was fleeing he was humble he was humiliated fleeing from his own son he provided everything him and his men needed and now he goes all the way to the Jordan just for a courtesy to the majesty of the king to accompany him and show him this honor and respect verse 32 now Barzillai was very aged man 80 years old he had provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very rich man. And the king said to Barzillai, Come across with me, and I will provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, How long have I to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and bad? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be a further burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way across the Jordan with the king. And why should the king repay me? with such a reward. Please let your servant turn back again, that I may die in my own city and be buried by the grave of my father and my mother. But there is your servant, Sheham. So he tell take him and do that kindness to him. Verse 39. Then all the people went over the Jordan, and when the king had crossed over, the king kissed Barzilai and blessed him, and he returned to his own place. And he told him, anything you ask from me, I will do for you. That is the heart of a man according to God's heart. Beautiful example of gratitude. Let's see that God also is thankful. God teaches us gratitude. I'm sure you remember, and I think I saw, I have not read it yet, I saw an article about this Ethiopian in the days of Jeremiah. Let's read that story too today to remember thanksgiving and gratitude and that God God gives us examples of how he he is grateful too. He does not forget the good that has been done to him. Chapter 38 of Jeremiah. Chapter 38. Now Shephatiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Pashur, and then he mentioned all these people. These are people in high positions in the kingdom with Zedekiah. Heard the words of Jeremiah, had, had spoken to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, he who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. His life shall be a prize for him, and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given unto the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Therefore the princes said to the king, Please, let this man be put to death, for thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in this city, and the hands of all the people. So the king was very weak, Zedekiah, you know, he had made a covenant with, with, with Nebuchadnezzar. He made him king. He promised he was going to be his... his uh, he would pay tribute to him. And as Nebuchadnezzar was gone, he turned to Egypt. And God rebuked Zedekiah for him not having the character to keep his word. And now he's so weak, he tells these people, okay, he is in your hands. And so what they did... So they took, in verse 6, they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. And they led Jeremiah down with ropes, and in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. Now comes the story here. Now, a Abedmelech, an Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. When the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah, the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon. And he's likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded him, and he said, go and take 30 men, and take your know, ropes, and go and rescue Jeremiah. And let's read here, in verse 12. Then Abed-Melech, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Well, that's not the end of the story. God was watching, brethren. And let's read what he says. The next page, the gratitude of our Lord, the creator. He says, chapter 39 and verse 15 of the book of Jeremiah now the word of the lord had come to jeremiah while he was shot in the court of the prison saying go and speak to abed malek the ethiopian saying thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel behold i will bring my words upon this city for adversity and not for good and they shall be performed in that day before you. But I will deliver you in that day, says the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. For I will surely deliver you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but your life shall be as a price to you, because you have put your trust in me says the Lord. God watched, and he saw it. Beautiful story, brethren. Jesus Christ himself, let's look at these acts of gratitude who are inspiring for us. In chapter 9 of the book of Mark, chapter 9 of the book of Mark, Christ said, He says Chapter nine Verse forty <clears throat> Mark nine forty for he who is not against us is on our side. Verse forty one for whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you he by he will by no means lose his reward. Just a glass of cold water and God promised he would not lose his reward. So God is grateful. He's our example, supreme example. And there's another beautiful story here, chapter 14 of the same gospel. Chapter 14 of the same gospel. It says in verse 3, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon, this is just before his death, in in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very, very costly, very costly oil or spikenard. And she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you, have the poor with you always, or when, whenever you wish, you may do them good, but me you do not always, you do not always have. She has done what she could. she has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached, throughout the whole world, what this woman did will also be spoken as a memorial to her. And is happening right now here. Christ said she will be remembered. Marvelous examples, brethren, of gratitude. Now let's remember one thing. In our days, we live in dangerous days, brethren, and look Let's look for a moment at First Timothy, Second Timothy. Just one thing of many we have to keep in mind, to remember and not forget. For here this is a very important one, in Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three verse one. But know this that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. They will forget any benefits, especially from their parents. He put it together here, unholy. Now let's go to the first letter to Timothy chapter 5 and let's read here what Paul says in verse 4 first emotive 54 but if any widow has children or grandchildren let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay to repay to recompense their parents in plural is including In this phrase, father and mother. For this is a good and acceptable before God. And he says, verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. We live in a time where parents are disrespected, a time where parents are forsaken in, uh, in uh, convalescent homes. I know several cases. The children disappear, and they let the parents be taken by the government and these people there that don't really care much for them. That's a horrible sin before God, brethren, a terrible thing of forgetting and being unthankful and being rebellious. And disobeying God. So that's one of the things that we have to keep in mind. Which close to all of us. We all have parents. Some young parents. Other elderly parents. We should remember. To show gratitude. And Christ rebuke greatly the Pharisees. As we can read in chapter 7. Verse 7. Of the book of Mark 2. Let's read that brethren. Chapter 7. Verse seven, Christ said, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. And he said to them, All well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father of mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father of mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is, dedicated to the temple, and you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down, and many such things you do. That means we have to honor our parents as we are young, when they corrected us, like Paul says in chapter 6 of Ephesians, and when they get old, it's our obligation to never allow anything. If they lack anything, we have the obligation to repay them, to recompense them, to thank them, to thank them, to give them honor and provide for them whatever they need. Now, there are extreme situations they have to be in a convalescent home, but we should never forsake them. Never. Never, brethren. So those are acts of gratitude that we have to remember. Thanksgiving to be thankful to our parents. And now, just to conclude, brethren, I was thinking, why did Mr. Armstrong say ingratitude is the worst of sins? When you think about it, brethren, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. What it took for us to be redeem From our sins. To be redeemed from death. To be redeemed from going into the lake of fire. And be destroyed forever. Somebody paid for us. Brethren you know that. We repeat that so many times. That we sometimes. Fail to fully understand. The greatness. Of the love of God. For humankind. Like the booklet that was written. Based on chapter 3. Of the book of John. How God being God, eternal, happy, because they are loved. They wanted to share their own divinity, their own being with us, the Word and God, when they were dwelling in eternity. And nothing had been created. And they created the universe for us to see what our inheritance will be before we uh, we were even created. And because we had free of choice, God knew ahead of time they might choose the wrong way and in order for them to come and partake of our divinity, they have had to learn and have the character to overcome evil in the flesh. But if they do evil, someone has to rescue them. And Christ offered himself before the foundation of the world with Adam and Eve, like he says in Revelation, he was slain from the foundation of the world. At the time, this era was founded on the knowledge of good and evil according to human conception and idea. Christ was, as he were dead already, he was as good as dead because he had promised For our plan to fulfil, to be to triumph, to come to a successful fulfilment, someone has to rescue him rescue humankind. He offered himself. He became a human like us and his life was in his in his blood, so he could shed it for us. Now our next feast is Passover, brethren. We, we, we should ask God, and I ask God to help me understand the depth of their love to us. He submitted to be human, and in Philippians 2, you know that. He humbled himself, and even to the death of the cross, so he could rescue us. God himself, because Jesus Christ is God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He said, the Father and me, we are one. We don't fathom the price that was paid for us to be rescued, brethren. And that's why the unforgivable sin is the worst of sins of ingratitude. If someone despises what God himself did for us in becoming a human being and suffering, and being humble and humiliated so he could pay for us and rescue us. That's why in chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, the Apostle Paul says in verse 26, For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, that we know how we were rescued We know the whole story. There is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Or how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the son of god under foot counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace for we know him who said vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord and again the lord will judge his people It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations and partly while while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you have compassion on me, on my chains, and you joyfully accept the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So that's something to think about to ask God. Because we repeat too much, you know, Christ came and died for our sins. But think of the price it took what God did for us, brethren, and that we keep in mind that we cannot be unthankful because now I understand why it's the worst of sins. As Mr. Armstrong said it once, I, I thought and thought and I got the answer for you, my dear brethren. So let's remember these inspiring examples of gratitude of the man according to God's heart, the examples of gratitude by God himself promising To give a prom, a recompense, a reward to whoever gives us a glass of cold water because we are the disciples of Jesus Christ and remember all these beautiful lessons in this time of the day and year, in this beautiful celebration which I love in American culture, the Thanksgiving Day.